Hey everyone, Jeff here. I have the privilege today of being with Coach Terry Bowden of our own Akron Zips. And uh, Terry, we're talking about uh, this this idea of a good kind of weird. Right. And just talking about how really Christ calls his followers to this higher level of living, this different kind of living that cuts across the, the grain of, of our culture. Now I know your story a little bit. Right. And uh, this is some of the ways that you were raised. You you saw people in your life who whose eyes were on Jesus right. and not caught up with the things around us. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, um, I'm very blessed to have been raised by Christian parents. My mother and father were raised in the church and raised uh, devout Christians. And they raised me and my brothers and sisters that way. Mm. So to get it from your mother and father, uh, not just the talk, but the walk uh, of how to live a life, uh, a purposeful life for Christ. I think I saw that in the home. Uh, and that was so important to me. You know, uh, the one you, you want to love your father and emulate your father and, and, and your mother. And, and when they can give you that kind of example, it, it, it sure helps a lot in your early growth. Yeah. That you, you want, I want to be a coach like him. So, gosh, I want to be a Christian like him. I want to, I want to live my life as he showed me how to live. So you saw, your dad had a lot of success, mm -hmm. obviously, Bobby Bowden and, and football, and you saw in your own home, mm -hmm. even kind of all, all of the, the trappings that culture can throw sure. at a person, you saw a man of integrity, uh, a, a, your mom right. too, a woman of integrity, saw that play out. When you think about that, then translating into your life, you've had a lot of success. You had a lot of success in football, a lot of success in broadcasting. Right. And, and uh, a lot of that came young. You right. were young and very successful, kind of off the bat in some ways. Um, how did that become a challenge in your life, sure. or how did that kind of higher calling play out in your life as well? Well, it, it gave me a good foundation, a good basis, but, but, but you hit a good point. I was very young when I got successful, and I didn't always handle my success uh, like I would have liked to. There were mm -hmm. many times where I was so caught up in my own success, in my own future, in the materials of, of this world that I don't know that I always handle it. If I look back, uh, that I always handle it like I, I would have handled it as I got older. But Christ never left me. He was always there with me. I always knew the answer. Uh, and as I began to mature and get older, I began to see a little bit more I could do with my faith and a little bit more than be so caught up. You know, we, we're human beings and I'm, I'm a human being as much as anybody. I've got so many faults and I'm, uh, you know, I'm saved by the grace of God, not yeah. by the, the good works that I try to do and that we all should try to do. But I would say as a young coach, there were many days that I was focused just on my success, but always uh, uh, caring about players and caring for players. But really, as I've gotten back into coaching, after 10 years of broadcasting and looked at the opportunity I have to, uh, to influence players, I think that foundation I had in the home, that foundation I had being raised in the church, gave me the strength to be able to use myself. And now I try not to let one player ever leave this place that he doesn't hear the message of Jesus Christ. Wow. He doesn't hear about the way to salvation because you know, I, I can teach him how to block and tackle. I can teach him how to catch a football. Uh, but why not give them the greatest gift that I've ever received, the gift of salvation, yeah. the gift of, you know, the gift of knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, I love that, Terry, and, and that's that's the good kind of weird, right? Right, right, right so exactly. Looking and saying, I'm going to give you guys more of a foundation for life, and then football lands where it lands, right? right? Absolutely. I don't God, God, we have got the purpose we have on this earth is to love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and to love others as ourselves. I mean, if, if we happen to coach football or we're video or we're, we're musicians or preachers or whatever, that's, that's the, the, the talents he's allowed us to do. But our purpose is to, is to love God and serve other people yeah. in the things that we're doing. Coaching is just the vehicle he gave me uh, to do this. And that's just, and I love it. And I know he wants me to, do, to be good successful in coaching, but mostly he wants me to share my faith 
through that that profession that I have. Love it. Well, we're so grateful for your time, and it's a privilege to be uh, a part of what God's doing here at Akron U. And what a what a what a privilege to have you here at the school and in our town and having this passion. And uh, we're excited about that. So thank you. And go Zips. I love just the message of it. Like, let's love folks. Let's take them on a journey, right? Let's accept them where they're at and take them where they need to go and be gentle and respectful in that and help, to, help them to know the heart and the mind of God. Love it. Love it. Love it. Hey, welcome to Grace this weekend and uh, welcome everybody watching online. Thanks for being with us as well. It's good to see all you guys. My name is Pastor Jeff. If I haven't met you, uh, I haven't been here for a while, uh, so I'm back now. So if I haven't got to meet you, if you've come the last uh, few weeks, or if you're like another family that stopped me this morning and said, we've been coming for five years and we've never said hi to you. I want to meet you and then I will have you tased and removed from the property for not saying hi. But I'd love to, uh, love to connect with you a little bit and know your name, shake your hand. Um, we've been running around some, and I want to just say thank you for that. Um, contrary to kind of popular opinion, I have not been on vacation all summer, although I'm very, very open to that. So if you'd like to sign a petition and give it to the elders, I would be, uh, I would receive it well, thank you. Uh, but what we've been doing, uh, you may or may not know that Grace is a part of an international network of churches, about 4,000 churches across the world, and we are the largest of those churches in the world. Uh, so what you guys do a lot in the summertime is you loan us out, and we'll go and uh, speak at conferences and train other pastors and missionaries and share our best practices with them. Uh, they're real, real fascinated about our campusing systems and those kind of things. So we try to help them and coach them, and uh, that's what I've been doing, traveling around and uh, working with them, and a lot of our staff has too. So thanks for letting us do that. I think it's important. I think it's a unique responsibility that we have as a church, and so thanks for uh, sharing us in those ways. But it's great to be home and really excited to launch into a new series this weekend and also open up a new semester uh, here at Grace, kind of the fall semester. And so we're starting a series this weekend called The New Kind of Weird, or The, or, uh, the Good Kind of Weird. Uh, we're the good kind, and we're talking about just how we are to be set aside and how we are to kind of live differently in the culture that's around us as Christians. We're to kind of be weird. Like we're not just to go with the flow and to be kind of mixed in with everything else. There's, there's a good kind of that in which we stick out a little bit for what we believe and what God has called us to. Now, we're using this, this uh, series to launch a semester, and I'm real excited about the semester and really want to encourage you to be a part of that uh, for the next many months up into the Christmas season. It's kind of the way that we work here at Grace, and what we're going to be doing this semester is we're going to be taking uh, the time and kind of the effort to deliberately and purposely and clearly lay out what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So what are we looking for? So if you're uh, connected here at Grace a little bit and you're saying, I've been in the, maybe I've been a follower of Christ for a while, and so I'm kind of regularly involved in the church and I volunteer a little bit and I read my Bible once in a while and give some money and aren't I a mature Christian? 
And I would say to you, all those things are good things, right? And proper things, even from the scripture. But our faith in Jesus is something that continually grows and that we continually become more and more, the Bible would use the word mature in. So there's always another level that God would have us to aspire to. And so and, until you are mistaken directly for Jesus himself, right, we haven't hit it yet. And so this semester for you will be that. It will be us kind of systematically laying out what is, what is a fully devoted follower of Jesus like. And you might, as we go along, you might find some areas where you're real encouraged. And you might say, hey, I'm, you know, that's really a strength of mine or a gifting of mine, and that's great. And then I promise you that you also find areas where you're like, eh, I really need to concentrate and pray and study and work on that. And then if you grew up in the church, I, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to find some things that as you look at what Jesus said and what he called us to is going to be unplugged in your own life. And God's going to unwind some things. You're going you're gonna to see that. So for those of you who are kind of committed followers of Jesus, that's going to be for you. For a bunch of us here at Grace, we're, we're <clears throat> either new to the faith or investigating the faith. And we're trying to kind of decide whether we want to follow Jesus or not. So what this semester will do for you is it will lay out for you what you're getting into. Uh, I remember when I, was, uh, when I accepted Christ, I was a junior in college. And uh, one of the people that was helping me to, to kind of know and follow Christ told me, he said, if you accept Christ, Jeff, you're, it, you'll have fulfillment and purpose and meaning in your life. And that's all true. And he left a bunch of stuff out <laughs> too, because he never mentioned sacrifice and self-discipline and, and you know, persecution, all that kind of stuff. I kind of discovered that the hard way later, later on. Well, here at Grace, we, we just kind of lay it all on the table, right? So we're not hiding anything. We want you to know everything up front. And that's what this semester will do for you, is it'll kind of put all the cards on the table and say, this is the full picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, all that Jesus said, because it is meaningful and it is fulfilling and it does give purpose. And Jesus also promised that people would hate you and you would suffer, right? So it's all in there together. And so we want you to know all of that. And maybe you've never really taken the time to really investigate it and to hear it kind of from the horse's mouth from Christ directly. And that's what this semester will do for you. So I'm excited about that. And then the other thing that this semester will do is, is it will unplug a lot of the cultural noise. This is really on kind of my mind and on my heart right now. I'm kind of frustrated by it, to be honest with you. That for, for most of us, our understanding of God, we pick up from somebody else. So we picked it up from our mom and our dad or whatever church we were raised in or from our, from our culture. And that's a very kind of dangerous and even disappointing thing because the, the noise and the confusion and, and kind of the messed up way that Christ is presented today is very, very negative and very, very untrue, right? So Christianity today and in our culture and really globally is something that, that has turned into a religious system. It's kind of a camp. I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Christian kind of a thing. So it's like a camp that we lay into. It's kind of a, a bit of a subculture and it's a label that we put onto ourselves. So all these people call themselves Christians and they're, they aren't necessarily followers of Jesus. If you look at like this image, these are like cultural presentations 
of Christianity. And all of these folks here would call themselves Christians, right? But when I look at this, I look like at the, at the Klan here, the KKK. I'm watching, I don't know if you guys are watching the news, what's going on in Virginia right now. It's disgusting what the white supremacists are doing. It's gross, it's evil, it's wicked, right? Uh, I was watching a guy on the news right the other, uh, last night. He said, where are the pastors preaching against this? Well, here's one. I'm telling you, it's wicked, it's ungodly, it's ridiculous, and it's being done in the name of Christianity, and I watch the news or I look at an image like that and I think that has nothing to do with me. I don't want to be associated with it. And they're claiming Christ just like Dr. King and Dr. Graham and Mother Teresa would claim Christ. It can't possibly be the same thing, right? But it's all in the mix out there. Here's the right-wing radical Christians. And a, a church like ours would look and say, wait a minute, that's got nothing to do with us. That's not our heart. That's not our desire. We would preach against it and say it's not the message of Christ, but they would claim it. You look at all the pop stars that would do it. We would look at their lifestyle, what they would sing. We'd say, wait a minute, just because you pray before a concert or have a, a song with the word Jesus in it, that's got nothing to do with what I believe or what I think. Every politician Every, what, doesn't matter what side of the aisle, they'll claim that they're a Christian and you look at what they do and how they act and what their ethics are and their words and you think, I, that's, that doesn't represent the heart of our Savior Jesus Christ, right? And by the way, this is nothing new, nothing new. The church has been manipulated and lied about since its inception. Evil people have manipulated and used the name of Christ for personal gain. There's nothing new about that. Nations have claimed to be Christians. During World War II, uh, FDR, our president, claimed to be a Christian, and so did Hitler, right? And so you're like, what? Well, for many of us, that's where our views of God have come from. They come from a movie screen or a, a preconceived idea or maybe a family member or a, a culture that you were raised in that those things were messed up and kind of uh, uh, disguised in. And, and you have never sat and thought about it for yourself. And this semester will help you to do this. Now, I'll be honest with you. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to church every day. Like, I, I literally started going in my mother's womb. It wasn't until I was in college that I pulled back and said, I have to, like, I don't actually know Jesus. I know what my church always said. I know what my parents thought. And I, I knew that Jesus was a Republican. That's all that I knew right? That he was pro-gun. Like, that's all that I knew. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I pull back and I start thinking, oh, that's right. Jesus didn't have a position on gun rights. There weren't any in the ancient world, right? He's anti-taxes. That's funny because he just said, pay them and be quiet. He actually answered that question. What'd you think about educational reform? It's like all of a sudden, Jesus got slapped onto everything, and very little of it represented his heart and his mind. So what I found was I was working and investing my life to become what other people told me, and I didn't actually know what Christ called us to and what the Bible taught us. So this semester, we're going to work through all that. And we're going to do, I'm going to organize it in such a way that you can kind of get your head around it, and we're going to allow you to kind of think about it yourself 
Here at Grace, uh, we don't really push things onto you. We just put them out there and you do with them what you want to do with them. We're all grown-ups, right? So you have to decide. So I'm just going to define that from the Bible, from the words of Christ, from the apostles, let you see what the Bible actually says about what Christians are called to be. And then you can kind of self-analyze that and see where you're at with it. And then you have to decide whether you want to be sensitive to or not and push into more of God's calling, and we're just going to walk it through. So I think it's going to be a great semester. I'm excited about it. We're going to kick off this series this week with a good kind of weird and, and kind of lay the foundation for it. But I really believe that if you'll kind of hang with us, if you'll take a few months out of your life, you know, an hour a week, and kind of hang through with us here, I really think it can be life-changing for you because I know it was for me as I got into God's Word and defined things from that instead of from all the noise around me. Now, to kind of kick this, this idea off, uh, I want to start the, this, uh, this series, Good Kind of Weird, and I want to talk about what it means to start to talk about the, the difference between the people of God and how we would think and function differently than kind of the mainstream of whatever culture. By the way, this has nothing to do with just our present North American culture. This has always been the case with the people of God. They've never really fit in the way that everybody else would fit in, and I want to start to define that for you a little bit today, okay? So it's fascinating. In the Bible, when you look at the early church, when people first started to, to follow Jesus, the, the very first followers, followers of Jesus were not called Christians. Christians was a term, it's in the Bible uh, once, but it, it, it came later, all right? So the very first follower of Jesus weren't called Christians. They were actually called people of the way or followers of the way. And this term comes from John 14, chapter 6, or chapter 14, verse 6. And this is, comes from a term that Jesus used. So Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the early followers of Jesus adopted that term. It's all through the, the New Testament. And, and they called themselves followers of the way or people of the way. Um, and then the, the, the Jewish leaders, the, Jew, the Christianity came out of Judaism. So in the ancient world, ancient Judaism was kind of the religious law of the land. And then the Romans were in charge of Israel back then. They were the civil law of the land, okay? So the ancient Jewish leaders called, then the religious leaders called Christians people of the way, or the way is the, what they would say was the sect that uh, they viewed it as a sect or a cult, right? The ancient Roman leaders also called it the way, or Christians people of the way. So that phrase is a big phrase, and it comes from Jesus himself. And the Christians were just mimicking that, and they were, they were saying this in essence, that Jesus says he is the way. Jesus is forging a different path, not the path of the religious culture, not the path of the civil culture, not the pop culture of the day, but a different way. He thinks differently. He acts differently. He talks differently. He's motivated differently. He values things differently. His way, his path was something that was never seen or laid out before. And that's what the people were saying. Like, we follow that path. That is our way. We are people of the way, the way that Jesus is forging for us. 
Now, one of the earliest leaders of the way was a guy named the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a fascinating guy because before he interacted with Jesus, Paul's full-time job was to kill Christians. That's what he did. There was benefits, there was mileage reimbursement, he had a cell phone plan. Like he, that was his full-time job, was to kill Christians. And Paul started off as an ancient Jewish leader, right? And they were real opposed to what Christianity was doing. So he literally went around and he killed Christians. Paul then had this fascinating, direct interaction with Jesus himself. And when Paul interacted with Jesus himself, he became a follower of the way he switched teams. When he switched teams, the ancient Jewish leaders viewed him as a traitor, and the ancient Roman leaders viewed him as a troublemaker. And so for the rest of Paul's life, he was persecuted. He was beaten, he was exiled, he was imprisoned, and he was eventually executed. He was martyred because he would not recant that he was a follower of the way. Now, something that was unique about Paul is that he was a Roman citizen. So as he was being imprisoned and beaten and all these things, he had rights, like you and I have rights as an American citizen. And what he did was he exercised his rights for the goal of telling the Roman government about Jesus. And so he entered into this appeals process, and he was appealing his case all the way to Rome, and he wanted to tell everybody who would listen to him about who Christ is and what the people of the way believe. So we're going to pick Paul up in Acts chapter 24. So if you've got your Bible, you can open them up to Acts chapter 24. And in Acts chapter 24, uh, it's page 778 in those Bibles in the chairs. Or you can use the Grace Church app if you want to use that. If you don't have a Bible or a newer copy of the Bible, or if you just need an extra one, just take one of those with you. We'd love for you just to keep it. All right? Or use the app. Everything's on the app. So in Acts chapter 24, I'll let you read the chapter on your own later on, but this is the setting. Paul is in the middle of his appeals process, and he's standing now before a, a governor or a governmental official named Felix, and he is in the process of appealing why he is talking about the way, why he shouldn't be in prison, those kind of things. And what's fascinating about Acts chapter 24 is in the process of appealing his case kind of in a legal system, he defines the very, very foundational core of what people of the way believe and how they, how they function and, and what they have given themselves to, okay? So I want to look at that together. So he's making this appeal to Felix. He's walking through this process, and he says this. He says, the, at the very, very core of what we believe at the very beginning, people of the way believe in an afterlife. They believe in an afterlife. He says this in chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. He says this. Remember, he's in the middle of this a conversation in kind of a courtroom, and he says this. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. So Paul like groups himself in there, right? There it is. As a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. 
that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So this is what Paul's saying to this judge. He's looking, he's saying, listen, I, I actually believe these Jewish leaders are accusing me, trying to have me imprisoned. They're calling me a heretic. I actually believe what they believe. I believe the whole Testament, the whole beginning part of the Bible I'm in on that. So I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe in Adam and Eve. I'm, I'm all in on Moses and the Ten Commandments, uh, Joseph, Daniel, David and Goliath. Like I'm all in on all of that, all the prophets. So I'm in agreement with them. And just like they believe, people of the way also believe that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. People of the way believe that there's an afterlife. Okay, and by the way, People of the way, if you are a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, you would be in this category. I consider myself to be in this category. So that means at the very core of what I believe, I don't believe life ends when my body dies. I believe that as a human being, I have a soul and that I am more spiritual than I am physical. And so when my body dies, the Apostle Paul later on, he calls my body the tent. When my tent is put away, right, into the ground, my soul lives on. And he says in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 6, he, he says that what is mortal is swallowed up by life, and it's God himself who created me for that. So as a follower of Christ, as a person of the way, I believe, we believe, that most of our life is lived after our time on earth. In fact, the Bible says that our time on earth is a vapor. You ever breathe out on a cold day? It's just here gone. Okay, it's a vapor. And so what we do is we use our time on earth to tee up our time in eternity. That's what the Bible would teach us. So I don't believe, people of the way don't believe that you only go around once. People don't believe that you only got one life. You better live. We don't believe that. We, we would look and say, yeah, we have our time on earth, but the vast majority of our time is going to be spent in eternity. Now, he, go, he says here, he goes, we believe in the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. And what he would be referring to is this, as a person of the way, we believe that there is a heaven reserved for the righteous, reserved for those of us who have had our sins forgiven by Christ, and there is a hell reserved for the wicked, that there's a place of eternal punishment, right? So people of the way believe all of that. Now, that's a very big deal because the fact that we believe that there is an afterlife deeply affects how we think, function, and what motivates us here in, in this part of our life. It's a big, big deal. And it's a core of what we believe. So maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've been to a, a, a Christian's funeral and the pastor or somebody stood up and I did this when my mom and dad died. You know, my, when my dad died, his body was in the coffin and I said to everybody, I did this with my mom too, I said to everybody, I said, my, this is, my mom's not here. She's with the Lord is how we would say it. Or she's, with, she's in heaven or she's receiving her reward. Those are just Christian ways of saying we believe that her soul is with Jesus. Uh, when my dad died, his body was there in the coffin. I said, you know, I don't, I don't believe my dad's here. I believe, I believe I'll see my father again. I'll interact with him again. His body is dead, but we don't believe that we are our bodies. We believe that we are our souls and our spirits. And it's a core part of what people the way believe. Now, not everybody believes that, right? 
So if you're an atheist, you don't believe that. If you're an agnostic, you don't believe that. If you are a, a person who believes that you just go back to, to the gray or to the dust, then you don't believe that. If you believe you're in reincarnation, that you come back as like a, a, a cow or a different person or a dog or something like that, then you don't believe that. If you believe that you come back as a cat, I don't know why you would have that faith. That's obviously not true, right? That's something the devil would do, not Jesus. But right, so, <clears throat> right, so we, but Christians believe, no, we, we go on to heaven, and then we also believe that if you are not a follower of Jesus, that you go on to eternal separation from God and hell. And Paul is communicating that to Felix. He's like, yeah, man, at the core, we believe in the resurrection of the, of the righteous and the wicked. Now, he goes on and he, he says this. He, he, he moves on in, in uh, chapter 24, and he would say, by the way, the other big thing that the people of the way believe is we believe that we should have our faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that we should have our faith in Jesus Christ. He says this in chapter 24, verse 24. He, the governor, sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. And what Paul meant by having faith in Jesus Christ, in the context, he's talking about salvation. So we believe that our souls live on, that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And, and we then would ask the question, well, how do you get out of hell? Like, how do you not go to hell? Because people the way believe everybody has been a sinner, right? We all have sinned. Raise your hand if you've ever told a lie. Go ahead, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you ever cheated. Raise your hand. Yeah, you never did? Come on, I know you. Raise your hand if you ever had a lustful thought. All right, there, there you go, okay? So you broke three of the Ten Commandments. So you're a sinner. You're destined for hell. And the, and the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, that sin is what separates us from God and causes us to be judged and be sent to hell. So people the way would look at that and we'd say, well, how do we get out of hell? Well, in order to get out of, out of hell, we have to have salvation. Somebody has to save us from that eternal destiny. And people the way would look and say, we believe that salvation comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that's what Paul was talking about. We put our faith, the faith of our salvation, in Jesus Christ. Now, that's unique to people of the way. We believe in an afterlife, and then we believe in a Savior, and we believe that that Savior is Christ alone. So, people of the way believe in something called monotheism. We believe that there is only one God and one path of salvation. Now, where would we get that from? Where did they get that from? Well, actually, from John 14, 6. So, if you look at this again, it's one of the places we would get it from. Same place you get the name from. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the one who defined that. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody receives salvation unless they receive it through me. So it's not that the church is monotheistic. We're not, we're not trying to like put the Buddhists and the Hindus out of business, right? Get market share. That's not where that comes from. It's not the control, it's not the church wanting control, you get salvation from us. Now, people pervert it that way, drives me insane, they pervert it that way. But here at Grace, that's not where we would get it from. We would look and say, no, we're monotheistic because Jesus was monotheistic. It, it's not that we hate every, uh, every other religion, it's that we believe that the one who said he is the way to heaven, we believe is the only way to go to heaven. So we believe as people of the way that 
We receive salvation through Christ exclusively, right? So we don't believe in the Hindu gods, and we don't believe in the Buddhist gods, or just fill in whatever you're blank. By the way, we don't believe in the God of Jeff, the God of Heidi, the God of Steve, and the God of Sally either. So we don't believe that you can get yourself to heaven. You'd have to live perfectly, and if you think you're perfect, you're self-righteous, so that means you sin, so you're not, right? Easy peasy. So we would look and say, no, we have to have a Savior. We have to have a Savior. Who do we, people of the way, not everybody agrees with us. Who do we believe the only Savior is? We believe the one who said he's the Savior. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, and he's the one who said, I'm the only Savior. And that's what people of the way do. We, we believe that, right? Now, that's also, if you didn't grow up in church, that's why Christians do weird stuff. So like here at Grace, even, we do a bunch of weird stuff. We send missionaries all over the world. Uh, we have missionaries, and, and like, for instance, in Chad, Africa, the poorest country in the world, the, the Centics and the Palmers are in Chad, Africa right now. They gave up their middle-class North American life, moved to the middle of the desert in the poorest country in the world, one of the most violent countries in the world. Why did they do that? That's weird. And then we, we all pay their bills for them while they're there. That's, why, that's what we do with the money that we collect. We, like, send our missionaries. Why would they do that? At Grace, we start churches, right? So we have seven of them right now. We want to have 30 of them. Why would we do that? See, why don't I have a Learjet? Why do we have, if we didn't have all these churches, I could have a Learjet. Again, if you want to petition the elders about that, I'm pretty open to it, right? So why do, why do, we, have, why do we do that, right? Because we believe that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven, Jesus said the, the church, the local church, is the key to spreading that good news. Missionaries are the key to breaking that into different cultures. So people of the way are like, yeah, that's what we do, because Jesus did it, and we believe that people need to know that. By the way, that's also why your weird friend is always trying to talk to you about your soul, right? You always got that one friend. They're like, this person is all elite. Why are you always talking to me about my soul? And I know they're weird, and, and I know that they sound funny, and, and I don't know, depending on the friend, they might even be a little homely. But, but the, the reason that they are talking to you about their, your soul is because they love you, and they believe that if you don't follow Jesus, you'll be separated from him in hell. It's one of the most loving things they can do. So Christians, we're not real good at it. Don't hear me like saying that we're great at it. But Christians are intrusive that way because we love you. And we want you to, to know what we have discovered and we have believed. That's what Paul was doing even with Felix, okay? So people of the way, people of the way believe in an afterlife. People of the way believe that salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. And then one of the last things Paul says, he says in, in uh, verse 25, he says, Paul went on to explain that people the way make different lifestyle choices. We make different lifestyle choices. He says in verse 20, chapter 24, verse 25, Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Isn't that weird? He talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. So that's, that's very indicative of people of the way and what we think and what we believe. So Paul talked about righteousness. People of the way would say this, that, that we believe, we're, we want to be righteous. And in this context, what Paul's saying is this, people of the way believe 
that I am to have my life defined and directed by Jesus, that He's the authority of my life. In other words, for us today, we're going to do whatever the Bible teaches us to do and live the way the Bible teaches us to live. We believe that because we believe that our job is to represent Christ to everybody around us. And when we live the way, when we think, talk, act, love, and are motivated like Jesus, we believe that when you then look at our lives, you'll see the character of Christ. So we allow that, we want to allow that righteousness to control us as opposed to selfishness controlling us, which is the way that, that everybody lives, right? And so most people live in their own self-interest, Whatever I want or need or desire is what I pursue. It's like the American dream a little bit. People the way would say, yeah, that, that dream isn't for us. We want to do whatever Christ needs, desires, or, and we want that to define us. So that's what it shows up in our lives. It shows up in things like our sex life, where we would look and say, what's the point of our sex life? Well, we would look and say, well, Jesus and the Apostle Paul defined what a, what a marriage is, a New Testament marriage between a man and a woman. And then they both said that our sexual activity belongs in the bonds of that marriage between a, a man and a woman. And it glorifies God when we're sexually active in there. It creates that oneness, right? So a, a person of the way would say, I'm going to preserve my sex life for that as opposed to being selfish in my sex life, which is, you're hot, can we, can we be together? Or I want, or I'm in the mood, or, right? It would show up with things like our money. So a, a person of the way would look and say, we actually believe our money belongs to God, it doesn't belong to us. So when we think about how to spend our money, we're going to go to the Bible and see the things that, uh, that God says about how to spend our money, so the Bible would say things like this, uh, help the gospel go forward, send missionaries, plant churches, those kind of things. And the Bible would say, care for widows and orphans. Uh, the Bible would say um, things like this, uh, look out for those who are poor. Those of you who are rich should use your money to care for those who are poor. So that's, that's why Grace Church would like do a lot of stuff with the inner city, backpacks, that kind of stuff. That's why we would pack a million meals for Feed My Starving Children. That's why we would do those things because we would say, well, God said to do that with our money, so that's what we, as opposed to my money's my money and it's there for me to do whatever I want to do and accomplish whatever I want to accomplish with it, right? So that's what righteousness is. That's what Paul's talking about here. And it means more than just that. I'm just hitting on it. But he, so he talked about righteousness and then he talked about self-control, and, and this is the thing, it takes self-control to be righteous, it doesn't take self-control to be selfish. So the two kind of link together. So, so Paul's saying, yeah, Felix, this is what happens. When we have the impulse to be selfish, we exercise self-control and discipline our bodies to be righteous. That's all he means, self-control. And he said, and he talked about the judgment to come. Now the reason we do all this, you kind of have to put it all together here, we believe that there's an afterlife, a resurrection of the wicked and the righteous. We believe that the only way to avoid going to hell, be separated from God, is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We want to live for Christ because we love Him and believe in Him, so righteousness, self-control, and we're very aware that there's a judgment. The Bible teaches us, and people the way believe it, I believe this, that every human being will stand before God in judgment. 
And everything we've ever said, done, thought, or wanted is going to be judged according to God's um, perfect standard. And the Bible says this, for the righteous, there's one kind of judgment. For the unrighteous, there's another kind of judgment. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, who've committed to be followers of the way, who've received salvation through Christ alone, we stand before judgment. We're going to bring our whole life before God and kind of plop it on a table. And the Bible says in Corinthians, it's going to go through the fire of judgment and everything that is eternal. The Bible uses the metaphor that it's like gold, silver, or precious stones. And everything that is earthly, same metaphor, is like wood, hay, straw, and stubble. And it's all going to go through the fire of judgment at once. And all the wood, hay, straw, and stubble is going to be burned off and only the eternal is going to be left. And that motivates a Christian to do the good deeds that God has called us to do. I would rather take my four grand and invest it in playing a church or a missionary or uh, feeding starving children. I'd rather do that than to upgrade from a 72-inch flat screen to a 90-inch flat screen. Because the flat screen is going to burn up, but these efforts are going to earn me an eternal reward. I'd rather lay up for myself treasures in heaven and make bank for the bulk of my life than squander my money on the vapor of my life here on the planet. So a Christian is going to be kind of judged like that and then rewarded accordingly. Now for the unrighteous, the judgment is completely different. It's called the great white throne judgment. And it's a yes or no question. That's all it is, a yes or no question. And the question is this. Hey, Jeff, did you receive the salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ alone? Yes or no? Oh, I went to church, didn't ask that. Oh, I gave money, didn't ask that. Lots of people who don't love Jesus give lots of money for very wonderful things. Did you receive the salvation of Jesus Christ? No, okay, I'll depart from me. I do not know you. And so we'll look God in the eye. He's gonna ask that question. And our eternal destiny is set while we're on the planet before we die and we will be forever separated. The righteous and the wicked will go before this. And so Paul's talking about that to Felix. He's saying, yeah, we believe all that. That's why well, you beat me and I'm like, ouch, and I leave and I just keep doing the thing you beat me for because I love people and I don't want them to face that. You throw me in prison and I'm like, sweet, prison. All these guys are locked up. They have to listen to me now, right? And so he would just, they could not shut the guy up. They finally just killed him. But Paul's not afraid to die because we don't believe that life begins and ends on the planet. So he's like, sweet, with the Lord. Okay? And this is the people of the way. And people of the way, people of the way live on a different path than the rest of whatever the version of pop culture is around them. People of the way, because we don't believe in death, because we're not afraid to die, because we don't value material things, because we don't value position, because we don't live for, we're not our sexuality. People the way are called to live differently, act differently, talk differently, we're motivated differently, we love differently, right? And these are the parts of Christianity that I take great pride in because they're attached to the heart and the mind 
of Jesus. It's the people of the way. It, this stuff in Virginia is such a joke. These white supremacists. It's the people of the way who were the first abolitionists. They, they, they gave their lives to, to rescue people from slavery. John Brown, who many would say sparked the Civil War, stood up in a church service in Hudson, Ohio, by the way, just up the road, and said, I vow that I will give my life before someone is enslaved, right? Now, was he a perfect guy? Nope. Was he a guy that looked and said, Jesus would never allow this to happen? Yep. Did he act on it? Yep. Did he act on it perfectly? Nope. But what sparked that in him? I'm a follower of the way. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the culture. I this is wrong. I am going to, act. it's the people of the way that did that. It's the people of the way that first uh, fought for women's rights. The apostle Paul was the first person who ever stepped up and said, you know what? Women are not property. They're actually sisters in Christ. In the ancient world, you owned your wife. You didn't love her. You owned her. You got her from some goats that you gave to her dad. So you owned your wife. She had no rights. If she couldn't produce children for you, you just threw her aside. It was the apostle Paul who first set up and said, wait a minute. In Christ, there's no Jew, Gentile, male, female. We are equals before the Lord. Your wife is your sister. You cherish her. You care for her. This was radical teaching. You care for her. You value her. In fact, you know what you do? Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. You, husbands, submit to your wife even as she submits to you, and you both do it as unto the Lord. It was the people of the way who looked at other human beings and said, this is not the way that Christ would interact with these things. It's the people the way that first stood up against things like materialism. Like, hey, you know, we're all for capitalism, but there's a point where you are just hoarding the money that could be used to relieve the suffering of other people. It was the church, it was the people of the way that stood up and did, did that. It's the people of the way that stand up against oppression. These people should not be oppressed. Why? Because we're created equally under God. It's the people of the way that stood up for those things. It was the people, it's the people of the way that fight against poverty and sickness and disease. Every single book of the Bible tells the people of the way to care for the poor in their midst. Every single one. It's the people of the way who look and say, things aren't mine, they belong to the Lord, and as people pray, I can be God's answer and relieve that suffering for them. It's the people of the way who have stood up for these things. It's the people of the way that have pushed against oppression. It's the people of the way that care for the widows and the orphan, the single mom and the fatherless child. It's the people of the way who instituted the, the aspects of adoption. In the ancient Roman world, if you had a baby that you didn't want, you know what you did? You give birth and you leave the baby outside for three days. If it lived, you had to take it back. It was the law. If it died, then you got rid of the inconvenience. Sounds a lot like abortion, doesn't it? It's the people of the way that would walk around, they would pick up that child and they would adopt it into their family because they understood that they were adopted by God the Father themselves. They're just doing what God would do. It's the people of the way that did that. It's the people of the way, you read ancient Roman history, there was a huge plague that came through Rome right after the time of Christ. All the government officials left the city. Shocking, isn't it, that they ran away. You know who rushed in? Christians, people of the way rushed in. Why? They would care for the sick. Why would they do that? Because they're not afraid to die. 
So they would rush in and they would care. They did it in the dark ages too. Because they were like, well, if I die, I die. It's okay. This is what Christ would do. He cared for the leper. He cared for the sick. He People of the way. They were radical in love. Radical in compassion. Radical in truth. But they stuck out like a sore thumb. Now, any of that sound like Christianity? Is any of that, you, you know what a Christian, where the term Christian came? Christianity, being called a Christian in the ancient world was not a label you took on yourself. You know what it was? Being called a Christian was an accusation. Other people would look at you and they would say, oh, there's a follower of the way. That guy, he thinks God, he thinks Jesus raised again from the dead, and he's going to too. They believe that they found salvation. They just walk around serving people, helping people, loving people, teaching about people. They're just like little Jesuses walking around. That's what the word Christian means in the Greek. It means little Christ. It was an accusation. It wasn't a label. You never called yourself a Christian. Other people called you a Christian. Have you ever been accused of being a Christian? When you think about the heart and the mind, these white supremacist fools in Virginia, would, would Jesus look at them and say, I think they're Christians? Or are they abusing the name of Christ? A selfish person, a self-centered person, a materialistic person, see how it works? And what God did in his word <clears throat> is he mapped this out for us. This is what we're going to spend our semester doing. As a, as a Christ follower, we're supposed to stick out. It's the good kind of weird. It, it, we're supposed to be different. There's the way of culture. There's the way of the, in our culture. There's the way of the left wing. There's the way of the right wing. There's the way of kind of everybody else, the mainstream. And then there's actually the way of Jesus that doesn't fit into any of that. And when we start looking at the way of Jesus, I, I'm telling you right now, it's going to mess with your politics. It's going to mess with your bank account. It's going to mess with your workplace. It's going to mess with your roommate, your, how you approach school, what you do with your life. Because the way of Jesus was to define the followers of Jesus. It was never to be integrated into the culture around us. It was to be the dominant feature of our life. And when we live that way, see, we do live in a higher plane, not in a self-righteous way, just in a meaningful way. We do live with a deeper purpose. We, we, we do live with a more powerful impact, right? People the way are motivated by that. They, they would rather build the kingdom of God than have the new car and the bigger house. And it causes us to live differently. It causes us to invest differently, right? And it causes us to be the good kind of weird. So, this series and this semester, we're just going to explain all that. And like I said, we're going to break it up so, so we can kind of get our head around it, right? And we're just going to explain it. And, and I just encourage you and I dare you to be a part of it.
Because you're going to, I can tell you something. Sometimes you're going you're gonna to leave church and the best thing that's going to happen in church is that you got to look at me for 40 minutes. You are welcome, Jeff's home, right? So, right, so that, that's going to be great. But you're going gonna to be so mad at me sometimes. You're going to be so mad at me because you're going to be mad at me because I just told you what God said. Because what God said is going to mess with you because cultural Christianity has very little to do with being a person of the way. Some lights are going to come on. Some things are going to be clear. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. And then there's other parts of it that you're going you're gonna to hear and you're going to be like, man, that's something I'm actually good at. It's really encouraging. I thought I was weird. And we're going to look at you and say, yeah, but the good kind of weird. I like to give. Isn't that weird? No, it's, that's not weird at all. It's great. I like to pray for people. Isn't that weird? No, that's wonderful. So you're going to find things that you're, God has really wired you for and you're hitting grand slams on and other people aren't great at it, and then that coin is going to flip on you too. But by the time we're done, you're going to have a clear understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then you decide what to do with it. We can't make you do anything. We, wouldn't, we don't function that way anyways. Right? But you decide, and we'll just lay it out for you as we go through. Okay? We do not have to live in the tone, the tenor, or the direction that our culture's in right now. There is a different way, and it's Christ's way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And we want to find that way and have that be what defines us and directs us, okay? All right. Let me bow our heads and close our eyes for a minute since we're in here and still. Let's just be still for a second and pray. Maybe tell God that you're open to being taught something different from his word. We're just going to show you the Bible. That's it. So it's God talking. Maybe ask him to help you open your mind and your heart to release certain things you hold closely. Maybe you just make a commitment. Say, I'm looking at being a Christ follower. I'm at least open to it. I want to hang around. Hear, Hear the argument from Jesus, right? Whatever it is. Just give God some freedom in your life in these next few moments. Jesus, we love you. Help us with this stuff, God, me too. I have strong opinions about many things. And every thought, God, every position of my life needs to be taken captive and surrendered to you. So help all of us as we discover your heart in a new way to do that. God, for those of us who don't know you and follow you yet, God, draw us close to you with your kindness. And above it all, thank you, Jesus. You are God and you made yourself available to us. You have no equal. You are monotheistic. You are the one true God. And so we worship you, we claim you, and we're grateful that you came and rescued us and made a way for us to know you. Press deeply into our hearts even now in your name.